Verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. He looks at himself and goes away and all at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer but forgets what, who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. It's the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can have a seat. God, thank you so much for today. I thank you for your kindness, your goodness to us. Thank you for the good news of the gospel that you're our good shepherd. For all uh, moms here who are uh, struggling with their identity, I pray that they would remember that their identity is in Christ. And all the ladies here that want to be moms, that they would also remember that their identity is in you and not, uh, not the fact that whether they are or are not a mom now. Um, I pray that you would uh, bless our time and, Lord, uh, make it profitable. Speak to me, please, God. I need your help. Uh, fill us all with the Holy Spirit so that we can hear your word and receive it. And lastly, Lord, I pray for the Atani, the unreached people group there in the Horn of Africa, um, refugees that have moved over into Europe and even some that are in Georgia now. Um, Lord, we pray for them to come to know Christ and uh, they are coming awful close to us, and so we pray for opportunities now, Lord, for us to be able to, uh, as we've been praying for them for almost five years now, uh, have opportunities to share the gospel with them and them come to know Christ, all uh, one million of them. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So, uh, as I said, we are in the book of James, chapter 1, as we just read, starting in verse 19. The last two weeks, we looked at verse eight, uh, 1 through 18, the last two weeks. And uh, the main thing, if we're looking at verses 1 through 18 that we saw, if uh, James is answering kind of the big question in verses one, eight, 1 through 18 is, how do we respond to trials? That's 1 through 18. Now in verse 19, it's almost the exact same. Instead of how do we respond to trials, it's how do we respond to truth? How do we respond to truth? So today, as we're looking at the text, uh, you'll feel uh, there, there's gospel because there, there's always gospel in the Bible. But you will feel like you are being told these are things to do. And that's okay because the Bible has that. The Bible has places where it lays down things that we should do. And our impulse should not be, oh, legalism, all the rules and stuff, and I don't like legalism. I'm free now in Christ. Uh, I don't like the categories of sometimes of legalism and freedom because sometimes I think that the better way to think about it can be holiness or licentiousness. And so when you hear legalism, sometimes it really is just pursuing holiness and you don't want to do it, right? I don't want to do it. So when you were, we're looking at these things and th this is a, a feeling of uh, here's things you ought to do. Don't rebel against it. Don't push back. Now there's gospel. We're going to start with that. There's going to be good news gospel in here. Uh, but as we are going through this text today, um, the big picture is how do you respond to truth? How do you live? Verses 1 through 18, how do you respond to trials? 
19 through 27, how do you respond to truth? And there's, uh, as you're looking at the text in the ESV, it makes it pretty simple. Uh, there's three stages of this journey, and they're right there with the little paragraph. So you can see how uh, the writer paragraphs this off as they translated it 19 through 21, 22 through 25, 26 through tw- and 27. Those are the three stages that we're going to look at. So we're going on a journey of obedience here. We're going on a journey of obedience. And the first stage of obedience is this. You can see it in verse 19. Know this, my brothers, let every person be quick to hear, quick to hear. So the first stage of obedience, you can put it up. Number one is to hear is to listen. Now that might seem like so obvious. Um, but for some of us, it's not, and some, it might be so easy, but for some of us, it's not before we get into anything, we're already told here, we need to actually listen. We need to stop and listen. And it says, know this, my, my, my beloved, beloved brothers, let every person. So when we see here, every person, remember that James is writing to Christians. So every person here does not mean every person in the world. It means every person that is a Christian. So every believer in this room, everything you're going to hear today that you're told are things that you must do. Every person here. This is the first stage of the journey. You need to Be ready to hear and listen. Have a heart, have a posture that actually wants to be a hearer, wants to be a listener. Don't push away stuff and say, ah, I don't want to do that. You need to be quick to hear. Not only that, I know we're told in verse 22, don't just be uh, doers of the word and not just hearers. I know that, but we can't automatically jump to the doer part because I think in stage one, we all need to dwell here for a second and, and not just get to the do part, but actually we need to be good hearers. Hearing is essential. Be a good listener. Now there's two additional thoughts that he says here in verse 19, uh, be quick to hear. And then he says, slow to speak, slow to anger. So there's, there's two additional thoughts that I want you to make sure you he- that you see. Be, number one is be slow to speak. As we're being good hearers, as we're being good listeners, we need to be slow to speak. I, I know you probably heard this a billion times. I was told God gave you two ears and one mouth. You, so to give you an idea of what you're supposed to do more, you know, whatever, like, you know, maybe so. My dad liked that one and everybody in the church, but it is, it is biblical right here. So slow to speak. Proverbs ten nineteen. When words are many, transgression is not lacking. But whoever restrains his lips is prudent. Proverbs ten nineteen. Another proverb on being slow to speak. Whoever restrains his words has knowledge. And he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. That's two of many. So we are to be slow to speak. Quick to hear, slow to speak. But we're also to be slow to anger. Thought number two, slow to anger. Proverbs 14, 29. Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty timber, temper exalts folly. So we are to be slow to anger. Proverbs nineteen eleven. Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it's a glory to overlook an offense. A glory to overlook an offense. So we are to be good hearers. And and additionally, as we're good hearers, slow to speak and slow to anger. David Platt says that normally we're not quick to hear and slow to speak, but instead we're loath to listen and anxious to argue. So therefore, in order for us to obey this, in order for us to be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, we must have humility. We must have humility. We can't be prideful here. 
No room for our big prideful heads. And me, number one, <laughs> me, number one, to be, get in the way here. We need to be humble people. God wants us to be great hearers. So much so that he said that we should be quick to hear. Not slow, quick to hear. Christians should be the people that are known, known as people that really listen to people and really hear them. More than anybody. Christians should be the people that are known for listening. Known for hearing. Now, just think about it. Is that, is that, as we're, is that how we're known today? The people that really listen. Internalize it yourself. Are you known as a good listener? Are you known as a good listener? Now, verse 19 Know this, my brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Now, as we're looking at this, as we're, as we're watching, and we're still in stage one on uh, the j- journey to obedience of hearing, there's, there's two audiences that we need to be able to listen to and hear. There's two audiences. One's implicit and one is explicit. The first one is implicit. You can see it right here. You can go ahead and put up the two audiences to listen for. Others. I think it's just implicit in the text. It's referring to our interactions with others. Whenever you are interacting with other people, it's, it's good for you to listen to them more than you talk to them. You should talk. You know, you should talk. No doubt about it. But when interacting with others, are you quick to listen to them and slow to speak and slow to anger? While they're talking, are you not really listening, but instead just formulating your response in your head uh, as they finish their sentence that you're not listening to so you can go ahead and say your thing back? Or are you actually listening to them, taking in the thing that they're saying? Um, I'm saying that because that's what I do. Maybe you do that. Maybe you can identify with that. I, probably not. You're all awesome people and you wouldn't do that. But that's what I do. So I'm, 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 pro- I'm confessing here. Um, God, God wants us to be great listeners. And as we're listening, we should be really listening. I've far too often interrupted people talking because I know in my mind what they're going to say and how they're going to finish that sentence. And I just I- interrupt with my next thought because I know what they're going to say. That, that's terrible. That's absolutely terrible. We shouldn't do that. Let them finish their sentence, even if you know what it's going to say. Be a good listener and be slow to speak. Be slow to be angry. What does slow to speak and slow to anger look like for you? What does that look like for you? Slow to speak, quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. What does it look like for you? For me, it's quite convicting how much improvement I need to make here. And perhaps you're there. So that's the first audience that we listen to. The second audience Um, that's the dominant way I think this verse has been taught in the church, uh, that we should listen to others. But there's a second audience that James wants us to listen to. And I think it's actually the explicit meaning of the text, not the implicit. So the second is the word. We're to listen and hear the word. Look what it says. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And here it is. Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. And here it is. And receive with meekness the implanted word. We're already told we're supposed to be quick to hear. And now we're being told to receive with meekness, the implanted word. So the primary, I think thing that we're supposed to hear the explicit thing in the text that we should be hearers of is the word is the word. James one eighteen calls it this. If you look just, you know, couple verses ahead of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth the word of truth and so the implanted word here that we're talking about that we're supposed to listen to how do we listen to it how how is it that this is done this is this is very complex 
and extremely simple. <laughs> so uh, I'm going to help us, I think, try to understand what we, what we mean when we talk about hearing the implanted word. Here we're told in verse 19 through 21 that we are to be good, stage one still, stage one of the journey of obedience. The way that you're finally going to start obeying the Lord completely, it starts with being a good hearer. Not just of your friends, not just of your wife, not just of your roommates, not just of your parents or, or whatever, but also of the word. You need to be a good hearer of the word. Now, number two here, I'm actually going to have two ways to hear it. Yeah, yeah, go to the next one. Go to the next one right there. Uh, so under the word, there's two ways I want you to think about this. And I think uh, after you hear this, I, I'm hoping that it'll be extremely helpful for you to think about what it means to understand how to listen to the implanted word. Uh, uh, and I, man, I, as I thought about this, it's, I, in my mind, it's just been extremely helpful. So James 1.18 tells us that the word of truth came to us uh, for, and it brought us forth from death. And I think this is the key to everything. So the word here that we see that we're supposed to listen to, the implanted word in us, this is the gospel. This is the gospel when, we, when we're talking about ways to hear. So let's take a look at this. Number one, uh, the first way that we hear, uh, where are we here? Two ways to hear it. The implanted word and justification. So there's, there's, when we're told that we're supposed to hear, I want you to think about it in two different ways. There's two ways that you're supposed to hear this implanted word. The first one is the implanted word and justification. The implanted word and justification. Justification, if it's a big word for you and you don't know it, it's the moment that you, as you, when you became a Christian, that you said, yes, Lord, forgive me of my sin. I trust in you and your death on the cross. I believe that you died for me. Forgive me, Lord. Please, God. And in that moment, you are, you're justified. You are declared righteous. It's the moment that you are saved and the Lord forgives you of all your sin. And so in that moment, you heard or you listened to the implanted word in justification, the good news. That's the gospel. You listen to the gospel. And so uh, it's important for us to really listen to the word, the implanted word in justification. It's like the blood that flows to our hearts. We absolutely need to listen to this gospel word. It's the moment that we believe. It's the moment that we're saved and justified. It's the moment that we're declared holy and righteous and blameless. Without this implanted word in justification, we're nothing. We're absolutely nothing. Um, the implanted word and justification is absolutely essential. And so uh, if you're not a believer, hear the good news that Jesus Christ died for you on the cross to forgive you of your sins. If you are a believer, hear the good news that you do not have to revert over to, uh, for justification, for a right standing with God, to law keeping. Instead, you are completely forgiven. I'm going to read two, uh, as we're looking at this, two Old Testament passages. Um, this is the New Covenant in the Old Testament. So in the Old Testament, they talk about the New Covenant with Christ in two places. And so I want to I let you hear in the Old Testament how the implanted word for justification was, was given. This is Ezekiel 36. This is God's plan for the implanted word and justification. So how we hear the gospel and we become a Christian and what it does told to those in the Old Testament. I will take from you the, na I will take from you the nations and gather you all from all countries and bring you into your own land. And here it is. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness and from all your idols I will cleanse you. So he's telling those people, I'm going to, I'm going to forgive all your sin. 
I'm going to bring you in as God's people, and I'm going to forgive all your sin. We know that's through Jesus. And so the Old Testament, they're hearing this. And he says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit, and I will put it within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and I will, from, from your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. Ezekiel 36, 24 through 26. This is God telling people many years before Christ how the implanted word in justification was going to wash them clean and change their hearts. And so it's absolutely essential. We are not saved by working, but instead we are saved by receiving with the word. When that gospel word is planted in us, it moves us to action. Uh, we're directed by the implanted word. So that's the first way we listen, is we listen to the implanted word in justification. And so when you think about listening to the implanted word in justification, you think about the gospel, the, the, the word of truth, the good news. But there's a second way that we also listen to the implanted word. You can go ahead and put it up. The implanted word in sanctification. So if the first one is the gospel, it's the message of Jesus dying on the cross for you. The second way we hear the word is in sanctification, and that's the Bible. That's the actual Bible. So we listen to the gospel so that we are, and we hear the implanted word so we're justified. And the second way, we hear the Bible, and it actually helps us walk with Christ and become more Christ-like. So we hear the implanted word for justification. That's the gospel. Here, we should understand the word, not to be the gospel, and, and, like in justification, but here, we understand the word to be the Bible. The word of God itself needs to implant itself deep into you. So I'm not talking to people who are unbelievers that hear the gospel and get saved. I'm talking to all of you who are Christians. You also need to hear the implanted word. That's the Bible. You, better believers, should read the Bible over and over and over and over and over all the time. Over and over and over. The Bible, the word of God itself, needs to implant itself deep into your hearts. The gospel has done this in justification. And now the Bible does this itself. This, this book does it in sanctification. Hear it. You're, you're implored here in James 1 to receive the word. The way that's going to happen to you passively is on Sunday mornings when Joe or I or whoever the other elders will be here one day preach. But that should not be the only time per week that you hear the word. Monday through Saturday, your job is to receive the implanted word by reading it every day as much as you possibly can. You have to do this. You have to do this. The gospel has given us the motivation through number one, the implanted word in justification, but the Bible is the thing that reminds us to live for Christ. It's like the blood that flows through our hearts. We need the word. You need the word for justification. You need the gospel for justification. And you need the Bible itself for sanctification. So stage one, we haven't even got to doing yet. I'm just trying to employ you to hear the word. I'm trying to employ you to hear the word. Ezekiel Reading and continuing Ezekiel 36, talking about the implanted word in sanctification. He says, I am going to put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Same idea, Jeremiah 31. Uh, it's, Jeremiah 31 and Ezekiel 36 are kind of like uh, mirror passages. They say very similar things. They're the, the new covenant in the Old Testament. Uh, Jeremiah 31 says it this way. Um, 
Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. We're Gentiles, but we're part of that now. Romans 9, Romans 10, Romans 11. Um, Not like the covenant that I made with the fathers on that day when I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. That's Exodus 19. It's a new covenant now. Here it is. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord. Here it is. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, Know the Lord, for they shall know me. From the least to the greatest declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. He's going to write his law in our hearts. And so, the way that, that's best obeyed, the way that, that's best lived out, is for us to be in the word. Yes, we work and we put our faith in action, but we do this by the word at work in our hearts. The word that he's given to us, the word of life, verse 18, the word of truth, as it says in verse 18, that's been given to us. And so that means we have to be in the word. All of this, as we do all of these things, and as hearing, all of it achieves for us. You can see the last three words of verse 21. Save your souls. So the implanted word in justification and the implanted word in sanctification, all of this achieves for us our salvation. Salvation is not just justification. It's regeneration, justification, sanctification, glorification. That's salvation. The big umbrella of salvation are all those things. And so you don't just pray to receive Jesus and you're saved. You also have to grow in your sanctification and then one day you'll be glorified. And we have to have the Bible. All of achieves for us salvation. So we have to be humble. And so question for you then. What place are you giving to the implanted word of God, the Bible, and sanctification in your life? What place are you giving? I just say, it's real simple. Are you reading your Bible? What place are you giving the implanted word? Um, if you just Google how many Christians read their Bible. That's what I did this week. How many Christians read their Bible? Um, lots of things come up and they're all very sad. <laughs> they all made me extremely sad. Uh, like here's, I, I, I copied a couple articles. Uh, April 25, um, 2017 Lifeway Research, Americans, American Christians are very fond of the Bible. This, this is the headline. American Christians are very, very fond of the Bible, but they don't actually read it. July 6, 2015, the epidemic of Bible illiteracy in our churches. And the articles go on and on and on and on about how Christians, Christians don't read the Bible. It can't be that the only time you hear the word is on Sundays when the elders preach. It just can't be. Your pursuit of sanctification will be lackluster at best. If the only time you have the Bible hidden in your heart and you hear it is on Sundays. So what does it mean to be slow to speak and slow to anger with the word? What does that look like in your life? We should never ever want to just rest simply on hearing the word of God and not acting on it for sure. But first we have to 
read the Bible, read the Bible, read the Bible. It's the way that God has designed for you to pursue sanctification. Now, we're just at stage one. I'm just trying to implore you to hear. Hear the gospel and hear the Bible as much as possible. They're the same thing a lot. I know there's, there's crossover, but I've tried to make a distinction between the, the two of them as well. So, verse 19 through 21, on this journey towards obedience, the first thing is hear, listen, be a good listener of the word ex- explicitly and other people. You should listen to your spouse and your children implicitly. That's number one. Number two, you can go ahead and put up number two in the journey. But don't just hear. But don't just hear. Do. Do. Verse 22. And I would say that verse 22 is the theme verse of the entire book of James. So if you are wanting to know, hey, I wonder what the theme verse of the entire book of James is. You should just, and God's fine with it. You can take your little pen here and you can underline or circle verse 22. I'm going to circle it right now with y'all. Verse 22, and I'm going to write the word theme. There it is. The theme verse of James, the entire book is verse 22. But be doers of the word and not just hearers only, deceiving yourself. If The one problem is that we don't listen to the word. That's the first level. The second problem is that that we just only listen to the word and we don't actually do anything else. So we need to listen, but we can't just merely listen. We also have to do, be doers of the word. If we're going to move on from the first stage of putting the word in, in us, we can't just, after we do that, sit by and be passive. We can't just sit back and let the word of God do its thing. That's, that's not the, exactly the way that James talks. Um, listening is absolutely vital. That's why I made it in its entire point, or James did, and, and number one there. But merely listening and not doing anything about it is just as foolish as not listening at all. There's really no difference. And not listening at all and just merely listening. You just have knowledge. There's uh, a book written by three Chinese pastors. Their names are Yun and Wang and Yongzi. And they're talking about the difference between hearers and doers. This is what they say. They say this. True disciples are usually people that few people understand. They are viewed as potential unstable fanatics. Now remember, this is Chinese pastors writing in China where it's illegal to be a Christian. And they're distinguishing between the hearers and the doers. They're going to say believers and disciples. But it's the same thing. This is what he says. True disciples, people who are doers, are viewed as potentially unstable fanatics. Often, the governments that tolerate the existence of believers will stop at no ends to actually eradicate the disciples within their borders. Do you hear what he's saying? They're saying the government in China doesn't care about the Christians that are only hearers. They only care about the Christians that are the doers. Well, I would say not just the government in China cares about that since it's written in the Bible that God cares about it. We should be doers. Now, James gives us a little parable. He gives us a little, little story time in verses 23 and 24, a little, a little parable illustration of someone who is just a hearer and doesn't also be a, isn't a doer. Verse 23. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forget what he looks like. 
So that's the little parable that he tells us. And he says, if you look at your face intently and forget what you look like, it's just like looking and hearing the word of God, but then forgetting to obey it. That's not the way it should be. Looks intently, by the way, when he says, for the man who looks intently, this is, uh, this is like stooping down and looking closely. Think about a, a, a young child that sees an insect for the very first time. And what do they do? They're like, oh man, you got to see this bug. They're, they're like all on top of it, right? This is what it's saying that we should do. We, we look intently. We, we look with penetrating absorption. We look and so we understand it. We're, we're inches away from it, all up in that bug's face, right? And it's saying... That whenever we do that, what do we see? Whenever you look into a mirror, what do you see? You see yourself. And in the same way, when you read your Bible, you look intently at it. God's going to show you yourself. He points us to Jesus, no doubt, as our only hope. But we see ourselves, And so we look into the mirror. It's helpful. It's helping us understand that we look into the Bible. It's going to point out to you. You should look intently at the word because it's going to reveal to yourself yourself. And your need and your absolute dependence that you should have on Christ. Think about it this way. When you wake up in the morning, one of the main reasons you go to the mirror is what? You need, you need to, re- I, I'm the same way. We need to rectify the way we look at that moment so that we can face the world, right? We look in the mirror to notice all the things that need to be fixed. It'd be crazy for us to look at it and see all the things that bedhead caused. And it's like, all right, well, I'll just go with this. You're like, that's not what we're going to do, right? We look in the mirror. That's what mirrors are for. Um, we should never do what the, char- what the character in this parable does. Look in the mirror and just get it and say, well, I'm just going to do nothing, right? Instead, we rectify all the problems that we see in the morning in the mirror. And that's what the word does. In the same way, when we look into the mirror of God's word and see all the things that need to be rectified, we don't do what the person in the parable does, nothing. We do something. We just don't to be hearers, but instead we should be doers, like a mirror, God's, worth, God's word showed us, shows us what we're really like. And so this is easy and this is basic. I said it's complex, but it's also easy. And here's why. We are supposed to act on what the Bible shows us. Right away. It's that simple. I know it's hard. But whenever you look in the mirror, you don't delay. You fix right away. It's the same thing. When you look in the Bible, and this is why you have to do it, or you'll never know. You fix what you see right away. Now, I know what you're thinking, right? You're hearing it. This is, I thought you were gospel center, and this is, this is a whole lot of you do stuff. Listen, the Bible is balanced, and it comes to sanctification and how we and God work together for our sanctification. And I'm just going to be as balanced as the Bible. When the Bible emphasizes the Lord's work, I'm going to emphasize the Lord's work. When the Bible emphasizes our work, I'm going to emphasize our work. God does everything in regeneration and justification and glorification. But in sanctification, we do it together. Now, I know Philippians 2 says, and all the while it's God the whole time. I'm with you, all right? But as we're reading the Bible, I'm going to emphasize what God emphasizes. And here... In James, he's emphasizing what we do. So don't, don't, don't send me an email and tell me I'm not balanced. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just telling you what the Bible says here. And the, the, it's this. He's telling us when we look in the word and we see what isn't right, we are supposed to fix it right away. That's what we should do. We should right away see it. Otherwise, we're just like a man that looked at himself in the mirror and then couldn't even pick himself out on a police lineup. I don't even know what I look like. He got away. I don't know. 
So we look into the word. We look into the word. And the Bible tells us this is what happens when we do it. You can look at many texts, but here's one. Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit and of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. When you look into the word, it cuts, it challenges, it provokes, it confronts, it scrutinizes, it lays us bare, and it reads us. When you read the Bible, it reads you. And when it does this, we must obey. We must immediately go after the things that it's pointing to. Psalm 19.10 says, More to be desired than they are of gold, even much finer gold, sweeter than also honey on drippings of the comb. So the Bible is awesome, even though it does this. It's more to be desired than anything, even though it does these things. So David Platt poses this question. So the question is, do we value Scripture? Do we value Scripture? Think about how much you read it. And then answer this question. Platt's way more conviction oriented than I am, but I'm going to read his, his, his quote because it's, it's good. Do we value scripture or do we value it more than our TV shows, the songs we download on iTunes and the stats of our favorite sports team? We tend to commit those things to memory. So we tend to convey, to commit to ourselves what we value most. And here's just a simple way you can, you can obey this right now. We're studying through the book of James. Perhaps you've gotten one of these. If you haven't, grab one of these out of the lobby. Maybe you haven't noticed this because you got one, but you haven't opened it yet. I understand. I understand. <laughs> but in the back, uh, if you haven't opened it yet, in the very back, in page, the appendix, in page 58 and 59, there's actually 10 memory, there's a memory verse every week uh, as we're going through this. We're on week three. And there's actually 10 memory verses that you can memorize right now. You can memorize the word of God right now. And the whole church should be doing this with you. There's 10 memory verses right there every week that you can be doing. And I, I like... I didn't even write the whole verse. Like James 2.1, I just wrote, show no partiality. There's more to it, but you can memorize that. I can memorize that with my three-year-old right now. I could say, Tristan, say show no partiality. He'd do it. Boom, we're memorizing God's word. T, how about it? Like, it's real simple, right? But we have to do it. We we should be constantly um, putting ourselves under the word, committing it to memory if we really value it. If we really value it. Do we value scripture? What happens if we, if we not just hear it, but hear it and obey it, and we value it, and we're reading, and we're memorizing? What happens? You can see it in verse 25. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the one who looks into the perfect law, um, the law of liberty, it, and perseveres, being no hearer, but uh, who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. That's the future that comes if we do this. We will be blessed if we do it. If you hear the word and do it, then you will be blessed. And I, want you, I don't want you to miss this. Notice what James calls the Bible. He calls it the perfect law, the law of liberty. He refers to the entire word of God in general as law. James is reminding us that the Bible is calling us to do something. All of the Bible demands a response of repentance and faith. And for James, this is why I love James, just tell you like it is kind of guy. He doesn't call and refer to all of the scriptures as the good news. He refers to all of the scriptures as the perfect law. Because he's the kind of guy that's like, you got to do something. You got to do something. Let's go. We got to do something. So here we see that the law that's given to us, it's not a law of burden. It's a law of liberty. But he who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty. So he calls the law 
the Bible, the law of liberty, freedom. And so as we live by it, as we obey its teaching, we discover freedom. We discover freedom. Now, I want to make sure we understand what he means when he says obeying the Bible actually leads to freedom. Because as, as Westerners, we can misunderstand freedom. As Westerners, we think freedom is the absence of all restrictions. That's freedom, and that's not what the Bible means. The Bible doesn't look at freedom that way. The Bible looks at freedom as the presence of the right kind of restraints. The presence of the right kind of restraints. And when those right kinds of restraints are there, it means that the right environment is around you now so that you can flourish. You have to have restraints. If you take a fish out of water, it will die. It has to have the restraints of water to live. We have to have the restraints around us of God's word, the right environment around us so that we can flourish and obey. It's not the absence of all restrictions. And so as Westerners, we need to not always think as Westerners, but think as Biblicists. Therefore, obedience um, shouldn't be something that we resent. Obedience should be something that we love because it's the law of freedom. The Bible is freedom. And let's just make sure we understand I want to end with two verses here in this stage two uh, of how Jesus tells us we should be doers. How Jesus tells us that we should be doers. They're straightforward and he doesn't mess around. The absolute imperative nature of obeying commands. John 15, 14. You are my friends if you do what I command you. You are my friends or you're my children. You really love me if you do what I command. John 15, 14. First John 2, 4. Whoever says, I know Jesus, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. Now, I know those are direct. I know those are direct. And I picked those on purpose. Because I want us to understand, we can't just be hearers of the word in this journey of obedience. But we have to be doers. We have to be the people that say yes to God and obey. And restraints around us are what God wants because that's actually the environment we'll flourish in. And so we aren't just hearers, but we're also doers. Now you might wonder, what does that look like fleshed out? I'm glad you asked. Perfect. James is going to answer it for us in verse 26 and verse 27. So number three, number three, the third stage. This is what doing looks like. What does doing look like? Well, he tells us. Um, that we're not supposed to just be hearers but doers in verse 22. And here's what doing looks like. Now, he's going to give us three examples of what doing looks like in verse 26 and 27. There's a thousand more in the Bible. We're just going to look at the three that James gives, okay? Um, so you're going to see as we're reading this, the word true religion. And as this word shows up, the religion shows up three times in this section. I want to make sure we understand what religion means because uh, religion or being religious is not a pejorative. It's it's a pejorative now. You're just religious. You're not really a, a lover of the gospel. Um, it's not uh, juxtaposed to like those who are religious and those who are sinners and both need the gospel. It's different here. Religious is a good term in this particular text. It, the word religious is referring to someone that loves Jesus wholeheartedly. They absolutely love Jesus wholeheartedly. Here it is. Verse 26 and 27. If anyone thinks he is religious, and that's a good thing, he does not bridle his tongue, um, but deceit and deceives his heart. Let's read it again. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person is religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before the God, the father is this to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from 
the world. So the first way or the first thing that religion looks like or the first way that we are doers of the word in the text is that someone with true religion is one that bridles their tongue. It bridles their tongue. Now, more on this on chapter 3. As a matter of fact, these three things that James gives us in verses 26 and 27 make up chapter 2, chapter 3, and chapter 4. He's going to expand on all three of those things in chapter 2, 3, and 4. And so we'll see the tongue in chapter 3. But nevertheless, here we are. So let's talk about it for a second. The first thing that doing looks like is one that bridles their tongue. And you can think about this negatively and you can think about this positively. So negatively, bridling the tongue means you don't curse. It's not, it's not cool to curse. It's not. It's just not. It's not cool. Don't do it. Also, you don't slander. You don't lie. You don't gossip. You don't have coarse joking. That's Ephesians 5, 4. And the curse, slander, lie, and gossip, that's Colossians 3, 8, 9. That's, that's negatively. We bridle our tongue by not cursing, slandering, lying, gossiping, coarse joking. None of those things are what the Lord would want. As a matter of fact, Sam Alberry says this. And this is, man, this is convicting. If these things are in any way a fixture of our speech, slander, cursing, lie, gossip, coarse joking. If any of those things are a fixture of our speech, we are kidding ourselves if we imagine that all is well between us and God. I.e., sanctification, not justification. You, you're always right with God in terms of justification. But in sanctification, these things should not be the case. But also, you can say things positively about brightening your tongue. Those are things you shouldn't do, but there's also things that you should do. Ephesians 4.29, among many verses, you should let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only which is such as good for building up as fits the occasion that may give grace to those who hear. So said positively, brightening your tongue means that you say words that build up people. You say words that fit the occasion. You say words that give grace to others. That's what bridling the tongue looks like. It's not those things, and it is these things. And let's just be clear here, because this is not just an, an exercise of being really good at watching what you say. <laughs> because Matthew twelve thirty four, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So this isn't just him telling you, Watch what you say and be really good at, at be, you know, watching your mouth. It's actually all directed towards your heart. It's all directed towards your heart. It's an exercise to change your heart, not just watch the words you say from your mouth. That's the first thing that true religion looks like. Next one is verse 27. Someone with true religion is someone that cares for the poor and needy among you. You can see it. Um, Verse 27, a religion that is pure and undefiled before the God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. The orphan and the widow in James' day were the most destitute in the first century, the most destitute of all people that were poor. So you certainly can and should take this verse literally. You should find the orphan and the widow and care for them. You should do that. True religion is someone that cares for the poor and needy among you. But you absolutely can expand it because there's a principle behind it, not just to the orphan and the widow, but to all people who are poor and destitute around you. Now, let's just, I mean, there's books written on this, but just make sure when you do this, and you should, there will always be poor among you, as Jesus says, and you should reach the poor and the destitute. But there's something, I just want to say it really fast, and you you can chew on this, but make sure that when we do this, how can you help? 
don't go be the Savior. Go help and point them to the Savior. Helping the poor, don't be the Savior. You're not the Savior. You go help them and point them to the Savior. There's a huge difference. We can go and we can go be the Savior, and then we're just actually not helping at all, right? We helping, but not helping really. So help the poor among you. That's what, be, what it looks like. But as you do it, don't be the Savior. Point them to the Savior. All right, third one is this. Um, you can see it in the last part of verse 27. Someone, or this is what, what doing looks like, number three or number C. Uh, someone with true religion is one that keeps themselves unstained from the world. It's in the last little part, to keep oneself unstained from the world. So this means you have a determination to avoid all moral pollution in this world. The things that are wretched in this world, I avoid. The, the deleterious sin in this world, I stay away from. I flee. We talked about it last week. I run away. Now, interesting here, when you look at verse 27, uh, the word and is actually not in the original. So it would read, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is to visit orphans and widows in their affliction to keep oneself unstained from the world. The and's not there. Now, so that means we are to uh, pursue sanctification or to keep ourselves unstained from the world, to stay away from all sinful things. But, but James here is actually uh, zooming in on one specific kind of, of uh, keeping yourself unstained. There's a specific pollution that James, therefore God, is wanting us to avoid. And that specific kind, since that and's not there, it's actually continuing in that same sentence. Uh, it's the exploitation of the widows and orphans. When you exploit widows and orphans, then you are making yourself a stained person. So uh, in context, this is avoiding economic ex- exploitation and difference of p- the poor and needy. But you can certainly broaden it out and say that this means avoiding all worldly pollution, avoiding all worldly sin. You should pursue sanctification with everything. But specifically in here, he's telling us that we should avoid economic exploitation and indifference to the poor and needy, which means this. God considers it, and this is amazing, right? God considers it a huge stain in your sanctification if you are indifferent to the poor and needy around you. Did you hear that? That's crazy, right? God considers it a huge stain to your sanctification if you are indifferent to the poor and needy around you. That's quite convicting. That's quite convicting. Now, James is going to expand on these three things in chapters 2, 3, and 4. But sometimes... Whenever we're told to hear and we're told to do, we need handles. we like, so what does that actually look like? And, and James gives us three here. And so if you're wondering what obedience look like, looks like and you just need something to work on this week, work on this week, what are the things I can work on? Number one, and this is, you can just work on this the rest of your life. <laughs> These three, and it'll be pretty amazing, right? One, bridle your tongue. Stop doing these things, cursing, lying, slandering, gossiping, course joking, start doing these things, building up, giving words that fit the occasion. Start reaching people that are poor and needy. And then third, uh, keep yourself away from the moral pollution of the world. 
Let's not keep yourself away from people, right? People are messy. People are sinners. Absolutely. So you don't avoid people. You avoid avoid the sin that people are doing. You got to be around people. Matthew 28. We all know that, right? 19, 20. Great commission. Anybody with me? You got to be around people. You got to tell them about Jesus. Um, But you certainly have to stay away from the pollution of the world. Now, the way to, as it says in verse 25, the way to freedom and the way to blessing is doing these things. The Bible tells us that we will be blessed if we do it. And it's the way towards freedom. And so we're exhorted in this text on the journey of obedience to hear. By hearing, we are, we are going to receive blessing and freedom. By doing what we hear, we're going to receive blessing and freedom. And here's what it looks like to be free and be blessed. It looks like to do these three things. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. I pray that as we...